Hey y'all, this is Charlie and we are living, loving, laughing in grace. And you know what else we've been doing? We have been learning about just how incredible our Savior Jesus is. And this is part two of a series. So I recommend that you go back and listen to the other, the, the podcast that came before this one. Um, you'll still get a lot of, oh wow, God is so good. You'll still get a lot of goodies out of this one. But we are going to be picking up about halfway through a story in the Gospel of John. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to go to John 1, where we're going to get another appreciation for who our Savior is from these words. John 1:14. it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. Aren't you so glad to hear that Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, is full of grace and truth? He is not full of judgment. He's not full of, of condemnation and guilt. I mean, Jesus could have come as a judge, but guess what? He didn't need to. My friends, I hope we can understand that God didn't have to come to earth to judge us. He can do that from heaven. And he didn't come to earth to judge us. He came to earth to save us. Just as it says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, did you hear that? God did not send his son into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. My friend, when he's talking about the world here, he is talking about you and me. He is saying that he so loved us that he gave up his very best, the beauty of heaven, the darling of heaven, the beloved son he gave him up for us. Do you understand that that means that God values you as much as he values his son? Because he gave up his son for you. Amen. I want you to say this. Oh, I want you to say this with me. Say, I am as valuable to the father as his son. Hallelujah. Amen. So he's telling us that he loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son. In fact, it says he gave him. You know, God is in the habit of giving gifts and he's not a, the kind of uh, gift giver who takes them back. You know, first God gave this world to man. And then when man blew it and made a mess of the world that he created, did God take it back? No. Instead, he gave his son to save us from the mess that we have made. Hallelujah. When God gives, he gives, he gives. He never gives with strings attached. So, and then it tells us, I love this, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son here to judge us. He didn't send his son here to condemn us. He sent his son here that we would be saved through him. Hallelujah. And he came full of grace and truth. And he brought 
that grace and truth to us. It goes on in verse 16 and says of, of John chapter one and says, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace, grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And as we just heard, he came to save us, not to condemn us. And we're going to pick back up today in John 8, where we see that the very intent of the Pharisees who represent religious people, who represent people who are under the law and, and, and caught up in their own works, people who think that their relationship with the Lord is all based on what they're doing for God and failing to see what God has done for them. Their, their focus was condemnation. Their focus, they, they brought this woman that they caught in the act of adultery somehow, and they threw her in front of Jesus trying to condemn her to death. They were focused on sin, they were focused on condemnation, and they were focused on death. Because it says that they brought this woman to Jesus, caught in adultery, when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's our Jesus. You know, when you, when you have someone throw a stone at you or you feel the enemy's accusations come against you, our answer is just to look to Jesus. Let him deal with it. You look to the cross. You declare you're forgiven. You declare that you're righteous. Tell the Jesus, tell, tell, tell the devil to go check out Jesus because Jesus was your sacrifice. Is Jesus perfect? Then you're perfect. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, I want you to think about this. When this opened up, it told us that all the people had come to hear Jesus. The crowd originally came to hear Jesus. But once the law was let loose, they all left. Not just the Pharisees. My friends, law breeds judgment. If you constantly find yourself seeing fault in the people around you, judging the people around you. Can I tell you, it's that you're under judgment. Either you're judging yourself or you're hearing messages that are constantly bringing you under the law, constantly bringing you under judgment. And can I tell you, if you are under that, get out. <laughs> Amen. Find yourself uh, a sermons that talk about Jesus that talk about how he came full of grace and truth, that show you the beauty of who he is, that talk about how forgiven you are. You know, it tells us in Colossians 1.14, it says that, uh, I'm sorry, starting in verse 13, it says, he, this is Jesus, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. I love that. It would have been good enough for God to say that he delivered us from the power of darkness. 
and brought us into his kingdom, but he specifies that it was into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's letting us know that we are loved. And it goes on to say, in whom we have, not we're trying to get, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. That's what we have. That's what we have in Christ. And we are in the kingdom of the son of his love. We are no longer under the power of darkness. My friend, as a believer, you may occasionally fall into sin sometimes, but you cannot ever be back in the domain of the power of darkness again, because you have been brought into the kingdom of the son of his love. And that's by God's doing. That's through his power. That's through the work of the cross. Nothing you can do now can, can undo that. Once you receive Jesus Christ, remember, he was a gift. And when God gives a gift, he never takes it back. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're receiving him as a gift. And God never takes that gift back. And you have been forgiven of all of your sins. You have redemption through his blood. And do you know it even goes on to say that uh, in verse 22, that in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. This is what he does, my friend. This isn't what we do. It doesn't say that we present ourselves holy and blameless and above reproach. It says that in his body, that he presents us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Don't you dare let anybody throw reproach on you. Don't listen to it. You know, that's exactly what Goliath was doing to the army of Israel. And that's even in the name of Goliath, that he was throwing reproach day after day after day on, on King Saul and his army. Reproach after reproach, he was coming, mocking them and basically throwing dust on them, throwing dirt on them like the enemy would do, reproaching them. And it took David, a shepherd boy, who came along and removed that reproach. And you know how he did it? Do you know his name means beloved? David knew he was the beloved of the Lord. And by knowing he was the beloved of the Lord, he was able to knock down that giant. He was able to remove the reproach of Israel. It's when you see, my, my friend, that you are the beloved of the Lord. And what have we been learning? That, that we will come to a greater revelation of how loved we are when we also see how forgiven we are. God didn't just forgive some of your sins. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say you've been forgiven of part of your sins. Just as we just read, it says that you have redemption through his blood. You have forgiveness of sins. How? Through his blood. Not through your reading your Bible. Not through your confession of sin. Not through your going to church. Not through your serving. All those things are wonderful, but they should be fruits that come out of the overflow of understanding how forgiven you already are and how loved you are. They're not the things that bring us forgiveness. His blood did that. There is nothing we can do to add to the work of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. And I tell you what, y'all get me all kinds of off track. 
I don't even remember where we were, how we got there. <laughs> so I'm going to have to figure it out. <laughs> but someone needed to hear that. I know I enjoyed it. Amen. Jesus always knows what he's about and he's the teacher. He's the one here teaching us. So um, we're going to go back to John 8 and try to figure out where we're at. It says, and Jesus was left alone. Oh, yes. And the woman standing in the midst. You know, um, I love this because Jesus, Jesus did not address the woman until two things had happened. It goes on to say, when, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Look at this. It wasn't until grace raised himself back up over the law, right? They came bringing the law when he raised himself up. My friends, Jesus gave the law. Jesus is higher than the law. Grace is higher than the law. And grace will always bring you to a higher form of holiness than the law will. Just as we heard last time in 1 Peter, he tells us that it is through grace. It is by grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Grace will always lead us to godliness. Amen. So he raised himself up. He is grace. He is God. He gave the law and he saw no one but the woman. I love that. He waited until they were alone together. And not only that, now she is in the midst. He brought her in to his place. He belongs in the midst. Jesus Christ should always be in the center, in the midst. And he allows this woman to be there with him, this sinner. And he says to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Let me tell you something. Jesus did this on purpose because he knew there was no one left there to condemn her. But he wanted her to see it and he wanted her to speak it. Can I tell you something? It does not matter what your accusers say about you. It doesn't matter what your coworker says about you. It doesn't matter what your boss says about you. It doesn't matter what that relative says about you. What it matters is what your Lord says about you and what you say about you. Hallelujah. Make sure the things that you are speaking about yourself are the things that your Lord is speaking about you. And your Lord says, listen, and Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus Christ is not condemning you. God is not your problem, my friend. God is your answer. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn it. He came into it to save it. And he just proved that. When the Pharisees thought they had him, they had, thought they had him in a place where they could arrest him, where they were trying to put his life in jeopardy for going against the law. He brought the law up to its full standard. Hey, if you want to play along with the law, that means you got to keep it too. Don't you dare throw stones until you're keeping that law perfectly. But he shows what he came about. He came to save people. And guess what? 
not because they deserved it. None of us deserve it. Think about this. While the crowd had gathered to listen to Jesus, where was this woman and what was she doing? Oh man, she chose. She chose to be somewhere else. She chose to be committing adultery. She didn't even get the choice to come before Jesus. She was forcibly brought. The magnitude of Christ's love and grace for us. Absolutely nothing in this woman deserved forgiveness or mercy or the gift of no condemnation God had just given to her just like all of us. But Christ gave it and he gave it in abundance and he set her free from the slavery of sin and he took what was meant to be death for her and turned it into life. Hallelujah. My friends, that's what our Savior does. Just as it says in Romans 8, 28, that he takes all things and turns them into our good. It does not mean he creates all things. It doesn't mean that all things start off good. He did not create this situation. The Pharisees did, but he took what they meant for death and turned it into life. Did he not say that the devil, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy? And look how he did it. He did it through religious leaders. But Jesus said that I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. And our Savior will never be outdone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what he does for each and every one of us. And he told her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. My friends, this is very, very important. This right here is the power to break sin in your life. And make sure you don't mix up this order. See, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now, because I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Too often what we hear is don't sin anymore and then I won't condemn you. Well, if I'm not sinning, what do you have to condemn me about? (laughs) Okay, right? And And unfortunately, sometimes we hold each other to this standard. Get your act together and then, you know, I'll be willing to to talk to you again or stop harping on you or whatever it is, you know. But the truth is, it's the other way around. It is the gift of no condemnation that will lead us out and empowers us to stop sinning. The power to sin no more comes through no condemnation. Make sure that we don't reverse that order. No condemnation is the empowerment to go sin no more. Just as he told this woman and to live the victorious life that Jesus came to give us. Hallelujah. My friend, when we give people, when we give ourselves the gift of no condemnation, sins and addictions will fall off. Guilt Condemnation empowers addictions. Fear empowers addictions. That's why Jesus released this woman from fear and guilt and condemnation and then told her go and sin no more. And guess what? He's done the same for all of us today. In Romans 8 verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, you may need to say that to yourself all day long. You might need to, you know, we will condemn ourselves 
The problem with believers is, is we will condemn ourselves over the tiniest things. And you know what? That's what the enemy wants because it is condemnation. When we first see fear and guilt, right? And guilt leads to condemnation. Did it drive man to God or did it drive man away from God? I'll tell you what, I'll give you the answer. It drove man away from God. Listen to this in Genesis 3. It says that this is right after Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me tell you something. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they recognized it was him which tells me this is something they used to do together all the time. God would show up in the cool of the day and they would walk about and talk about to each other. But this time they ran and hide. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. My friends, fear of God will cause you to run away from him. Guilt, condemnation will cause you to run away from him. Why was he hiding? He says, because I was naked, which means what? He was ashamed. And you can't have shame without guilt. That's what causes shame. He, he, he felt guilty. He felt judged. And so he ran and hid from the Lord. My friend, that's why the enemy plays this game with us. If he can get you judging you, not only can he get, can he interrupt your relationship with the Lord, he can then get you to start being like the Pharisees and judging everybody else too. But Jesus says, hey, there is therefore now no condemnation. Receive that gift that the Lord's not condemning you and he never will. He condemned his son at the cross so that he will never have to condemn you. Amen. Now look at what this woman did. This woman, she had a choice, right? Here's the thing. Like I say, the Lord always gives us a choice. You know, she could have ran off when everybody else ran off. And I think that would be your natural instinct because I, I have an idea that she was probably standing here not dressed, right? These, these people, the Pharisees were not very nice. They caught her in the very act and they drug her out here and um, to use her. And you know, I, I think after being made a spectacle of anyone, your, your reaction, like Adam, is you want to run and hide. But check this out. The Pharisees, who's, who pride themselves in the knowledge of God, couldn't see him standing right before them. In fact, grace actually blinded them. And yet this woman was able to recognize whose presence she was in. And she stayed. <laughs> Oh, my friend, she humbled herself and she stayed near to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's, that's all we all need is to stay near to Jesus. She didn't, and she also, she didn't try to deny what happened. She didn't try to excuse it. She just stayed in his presence. And notice this too. Jesus never made her confess her sin as we're taught confession. There, there's nothing here. She never asked him to forgive her. I mean, literally the only words she speaks is no one Lord. Three little words. And he gives her forgiveness. He gives her the gift 
of no condemnation. See, here's the thing. God is not out to punish us. He's not out to humiliate us. She has been humiliated enough. She has been punished enough. See, sin does have consequences. So there was consequences to her action, but that's very different than a punishment. And Jesus did not punish her. And he did not see her sin on her. He saw her. Hallelujah. So I want to tell you again, my friend, the way out of that bad habit that you've been struggling with for months, years, maybe your whole life, is to stop struggling with it. Stop condemning yourself about it. Stop believing that it changes the way your Savior, your Father God looks at you and loves you. It doesn't change His opinion of you. Receive the gift of no condemnation from the Lord. And if there's a loved one in your life who is struggling with an addiction, give them this gift of no condemnation. And please, whatever you do, don't tell them things like if they wanted to get over it, they could. My friend, if, 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 if that were true, it wouldn't be an addiction, right? Don't, don't try to shame them into getting out of it. Remind them of who they are in Christ. And if they're not in Christ, they're not a believer, there's no hope for them to get out of that addiction anyways. What they need is not to have the, not to be trying to treat the, the leaves of the tree. They need the root treated. They need Jesus. Be praying for their salvation because until they receive Christ, there is no hope to break an addiction. Only Christ. And you know the other beautiful thing about that? I cannot tell you how many testimonies I know of people who have received Jesus Christ and as soon as they received him into their heart, the addiction was broke. Because that's what we need. We need to know that our sins are forgiven, that God loves us, and that he is not condemning us. And and, and I will tell you that if you're struggling with something, quote Romans 8, 1 over yourself. Because you know, when you speak God's word, it has power. It has power to go to work in you, for you, through you, and in your life. So speak Romans 8, 1 over yourself. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. So there is no condemnation for you. Remind yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Remind yourself of who you really are. Amen. And I just want to tie something really beautiful up for you. So we've just talked about this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus gives her this beautiful gift of no condemnation and tells her to go and sin no more. I would say that if, if anyone there, that she knows that she has been forgiven much, would you say that after this encounter with Jesus, that she probably now loves him much. Does that remind you of anything? Maybe another certain sinner that we have been talking about that had had a previous encounter with Jesus where he had forgiven her and then she came to him and the Pharisee's home and she wept on his feet and anointed him with her tears and with perfume and with oil. And the Lord even declared that because she was forgiven much, she loved much. It's not expressly written in the Bible, but I believe that these are the same woman. I believe that it is this woman 
that had this encounter with Jesus, with the Pharisees that we then hear about in Luke 7. Because I tell you what, this woman that experienced this, where Jesus took what was meant for death for her and turned it into life, lifted her up out of the dirt, honored her, forgave her much. She now loves him much. And I also have to wonder, because that Pharisee whose house they were in, that she somehow knew the way to, was so focused on her touching Jesus. It makes me wonder if he's not the man she was caught having adultery with. Again, that's not in there. Just something I wonder. Do you ask the Lord these kind of questions when you read the Bible? I'm telling you what, if you do, <laughs> he's going to bring it alive to you in, in just amazing, incredible ways. So these are, these are the kind of things I ask. So you come back to Luke 7, and um, it tells us in Luke 7 that this Pharisee saw how this woman had come in weeping, wetting Jesus' feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with her perfume. Wow, that is someone who has been forgiven a lot and now has a heart so full of love. My friends, the more we understand how much we've been forgiven, the more we will love our Savior. Hallelujah. And Jesus shares this parable and he tells this parable to Simon. He says, a moneylender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. as the equivalent of saying one owed 50 days worth of work and the other owed 500 days worth of wages. And it says when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? My friend, you know what I want to point out here? Is that Jesus says, he's the one sharing this parable. And he says that the man graciously forgave them both. He forgave all of it. He didn't just forgive some of it. He didn't forgive it in installments. He freely forgave all of it. Your whole lifetime of sins have been forgiven at the cross. God already saw them. The problem is that we don't know about them. So we get to them and we think that that's a new sin that somehow changes things. But God already saw that sin in his son at the cross, just like he saw your whole life, right? Your whole life was in the future when Jesus was on the cross. So he's already seen your whole life worth of sins. And just like he says here, he's speaking about his father. He's because we all owe a sin debt to God. That we could never repay. But our Father graciously forgave us. And he asked which of them will love him more. My friend, do you know this is true holiness? True holiness is to love God more and more and more. And we do that as we grow and how much he loves us and how much he's forgiven us. That is how we grow in our love for him. Even Simon answered, and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, 
Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven her, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. If we think we've only been forgiven a little, we'll only love a little bit. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were cleaning, who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? They became very indignant towards Jesus. And, and I want you to know, we, we talked about it in the last series called Forgiven Much, Love Much. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to that, to go back and listen to it. Because as I said, I believe that this is the same woman. Because this whole scenario is a grace work. And the tense in which Jesus first says that her sins have been forgiven is a tense that denotes that, that she has previously been told this. It's a once and for all thing, a once and done thing. And just as he just shared in his own parable that the people love after they've been forgiven. So she's coming with this work of love, this work of grace, this demonstration of her heart to Jesus because she already knows that she's been forgiven. Somewhere along the way, she already ran into Jesus and he forgave her of her many sins. And so now she loves greatly. And he looks at the woman and I love this. He says, your faith has saved you. Go into peace. You notice when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee, he talks about works. But when he speaks to the woman, he talks about her faith. He sends her into peace. He tells her, he reminds her that her sins have been forgiven with no mention of works. Why? Because you cannot earn it. My friend, you cannot earn forgiveness in any way, shape, or form. You can't keep it. You can't get it as a free gift and then try to keep it. No, it's, it's a gift from the beginning. It's grace from the beginning. It's grace all the way through. And her faith, her incredible faith, was that she simply believed in Jesus. She believed in his forgiveness. She believed in his grace. She believed in his mercy. She believed that he was different than all the other men there. And that made her bold. That made her courageous. That she could show up there and ignore the looks and the whispers of the accusers sitting around there. And she just let Jesus do what he does. And he did it again. He got out his shepherd's staff and he defended his sheep. Hallelujah. My friends, this is your Lord. This is your shepherd. Psalms 23, one says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You shall not want. When you look to the Lord as your shepherd, you shall not want to be defended. You shall not want for, for grace, for mercy. You shall not want for provision. You shall not want for anything. It's one full stop. It's a period. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He will take care of you. He provides for you. He already has. He is. Hallelujah. And I have got to let you go. Amen. Our Lord is so very good to us. So I want you to walk out. Live in this gift of no condemnation that he's given you. And you'll see, just trust, he's going to do for you just as he's done for this woman. He'll defend you, he'll protect you, and without you even being aware of it, you will overflow with works of love and grace to your Lord. But we do that by focusing on him. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Jesus, we do. We thank you that you have taken all of our sins. You've taken all of our punishment. You've taken all of our condemnation at the cross so that you could give us this beautiful gift. We thank you that you have given us the empowerment to walk out of our sins, to simply live free, Lord, free in you, to live in your grace, to live in your mercy, to live in your peace. And we thank you that even now, bondages are being broken. Habits are falling off. The old leaves are drying up and blowing away. And your fruit that you bring is coming to a fruition and a harvest in our lives, Lord. And we believe it and we receive it. Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends. God loves you. God bless you. And keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.